Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 350 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Tree Fitty! That's a lot of episodes, but for this one, we have a secret scrimmage that's no longer a secret. We will recap what we learned about it, and we'll get into some NBA talk. But before all that, I'm Donald Wine, your host for this episode. It is Sunday, October 24th, 2021, and I'm here in Washington, D.C., which was the center of Duke basketball life this weekend. I have my two friends with me, Sam Klein and Jason Evans. First off, Sam, how are you on this wonderful weekend? I am doing great. It is uh, truly fall weather up here and uh, getting very excited for basketball season to tip off. Finally, it is hoodie season in full effect. And Jason Evans is also here. Jason, are you excited about the Atlanta Braves making the World Series? Oh, boy. I'm doing a tomahawk chop here, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh... I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's an FSU, FSU. Uh, uh, okay. The Falcons stole it. Did <laughs> you know the story that I'm sorry, the, the Braves stole it from Florida state when Dion because Sanders, of Dion. Yeah. Yep. It was a Dion Sanders thing. Um, yeah, no, everyone here in Atlanta is definitely jazzed about, about the Braves making the world series um, an incredible, incredible series uh, in the NLCS. Edwin Rosario had as good a postseason six games as like anyone in the history of baseball, which is really saying something. Yeah, it is the Atlanta Braves versus the Houston Astros in the World Series. If you have not been watching baseball and there's one thing that must happen, international players anthem must be played before the game because it is our true national anthem. Of course, it features the mayors of both Houston and Atlanta, which would be UGK and Outcast. But we're talking about Duke basketball and our first topic brings us right back here to Washington, D.C., where Duke had a private scrimmage against Villanova yesterday. Now, for those of you out there, D1 teams are not allowed to play each other in exhibition games that count before the regular season starts, but they are allowed to scrimmage each other. And they did just that right here at the Washington Wizards and Washington Mystics practice facility. We already knew they were going to play this week, but shout out to my good friend, Sam, who prefers, you know, that we, we were talking about this on Twitter, but he saw the Duke basketball bus rolling through town earlier this week. And that gave me an indication that they were going to be at the practice facility. I did not get in, but we do have some video that Duke men's basketball put out this week or this weekend. They were not allowed to keep score or allow the general public to see it, but we do have some nuggets about how the team did. And it sounds like they did extremely well against the Nova team that is can, ranked fourth. in can, the AP. Can, can, can we just briefly say how shocking it is that, that Duke released like a, a, a 10 minute, it's like seven minutes long. It was, like it was four I minutes. Like, it, was, it wasn't that long. Four minutes. It felt like <laughs> Regardless, we're about to turn four minutes of, of, of scrimmage video into more than four minutes worth of discussion about it. But but yes. wait, the fact that they released video, I, I, I've gone back and, and I looked a little bit like their photos. Quite often there are photos released from these things, from these secret scrimmages, from these private scrimmages. Uh, you, you get reports, you know, about who did well and who didn't and, and maybe a little bit of statistics. The fact that we got four minutes of video is stunning. I, I've, I've never seen that before. And, and to, to be fair, for those of you out there, this is not like the quote-unquote raw, uncut videos that we got from no. summer scrimmages. This is straight a highlights package. So if you're looking for all the good stuff that Duke did against Villanova in this secret scrim, in this closed-door scrimmage, it's no longer a secret, but this closed-door scrimmage, this video is packed with about four and a half minutes worth of action uh, from that scrimmage. So Jason, I will start with you because uh, the internet streets were talking about what happened in the scrimmage yesterday. Again, they were not allowed to officially keep score. They were not allowed to officially keep statistics. They were not allowed to have the public view it. 
but that doesn't mean we don't have some nuggets about what did transpire. So why don't you take it from here and let us know what you found out? So a, a few things. First of all, in terms of that, they, they, they do know the stats of what various players did. So, so here's some of the numbers we got from the top performers for Duke. We know that uh, Trevor Keels went for 17 points, second most on the team, that he hit four out of seven three-pointers. We know that Wendell Moore was outstanding, had 16 points and nine rebounds. I want to point out something. They only played for 30 minutes. They did a 20-minute half, then they did like a 10-minute you know, half, I guess you'd call it, half of a half. So yeah, on top of that, Jason, uh, just to interrupt, they did those things. Then they also did some end of game, like they did some situational stuff because again, they played right. for about two and a half hours. So they did, you know, 20 minute half, a 10 minute half. They did like end of game where one team was up by six. The other team was up by six. Coach K actually gave a little breakdown of what each scenario was that they kind of did during this scrimmage. And and they also did like a, a five minute or, or, or something like that, where the both teams use nothing but you know, sort of deeper bench players and, and walk-ons and such. They want those guys to get some work as well. Um, and I think they did that sort of in between the 20-minute half and the 10-minute half, sort of to give the regular players a, a halftime, so to speak. Um, so, so again, Trevor Keel scores 17 points. Wendell Moore scores 16 points in 30 minutes of action. And then the big story, of course, is Paolo Bancaro. Paolo went for 29 and 12 in a 30-minute game. I think that bears repeating in a 30 minute game where he didn't play the whole time, you know, the Duke subbed in for him at times in a 30 minute game, Paolo went for 29 and 12. Whew. That's a big number. That's both almost a numbers, point a minute. Both those numbers are big numbers. <laughs> if we're averaging a point a minute from Paolo Bancaro, I'm cool with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, if there weren't already super high expectations on the preseason ACC player of the year, a guy who many people think even as a freshman will be a first team all American, those expectations just went through the roof. Because uh, behind Paolo Bancaro, Duke apparently, according to what we know, really put it on Villanova. That, um, you know, we don't have exact scores kind of stuff, um, but it looks like Duke beat Villanova pretty handily from, from what we've been told. That there were, uh, you know, there were, like we said, there were different scenarios and situations. They, they were moving the score around in different ways to make the teams play differently. But under virtually every scenario they put together, including one where you just started at zero, the, uh, the Blue Devils were, um, uh, were far and away better than a Villanova club that is considered a top five team in the land. Um, it is super, super exciting. I'll let you guys say a little bit more about some of the individual stuff you saw, and then I want to come back to it. But, uh, it, you know, for us to have even played a team, the quality of Villanova is a big deal. For us to see, to, for us to hear that Duke played really well is good. For us to hear that Duke was, I don't want to say dominant, but close to dominant against Villanova expectations are now really sky high on this team. And after the scrimmage, Jay Wright had a picture of him and coach K on Twitter. And he mentioned that, Hey, this team is really tough. They had uh, against a veteran laden team that, you know, they really did really well against him and that his guys learned a lot from Duke. But Sam, I want to go back to you because we have to talk about Paula Ben Carroll for a minute. We, we on the last show or a couple of shows ago, we talked about his performance during countdown to craziness and whether or not it was something of concern. Now that you hear this stat line, 29 and 12 in a 30-minute game, what do you think about his uh, the impression from then to now? How, how has it gone up or down? Or again, are you still even keel about him just being the real deal and we're just going to wait? I don't think it's really the numbers because we don't get to see from this scrimmage all the in-between time and, and how much Villanova was really locked in on defense. I think of the highlights we got, most of it 
was Duke on offense, but there were a few moments where Paulo was making plays, not just making shots. It was him getting the ball in traffic, going towards the hoop, uh, getting through contact, that kind of thing. And I think the the thing that you could be that you could be worried about with a player of his skill set coming into school is that he won't be able to handle the physicality down low. And I, I think my big takeaway from the limited highlights that we got is that he can handle it. He can handle the contact. He can play through the contact. And I'm very excited that, that he's gotten there. I do wish it's so funny when the, when the video came out that Duke basketball had put out uh, with highlights from the game, I was waiting and refreshing the Villanova Twitter feed to see what Villanova would put out uh, because I was hoping like, Oh, we'll get a little bit of a view on, on who on Duke is, is getting burned on defense and, and who's getting their shot blocks, that kind of thing. But we didn't get that. So I don't get to, I don't get to, to dig too deeply. I am. I think the big takeaway has to be that, that Paula looked so good and uh, very exciting to see him um, see him. It seems like take over uh, in a situation that we didn't really see from the blue white scrimmage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he wasn't the only one that impressed at least, you know, through the, the highlights video that we saw again, the highlights video was just nothing but good Duke plays, but whether it be offense or defense or both. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't know the, we don't know the veggies yet, but we can talk about the cake. And I want to start with a couple of players. One is Theo John before the, the game coach K talked about how they tried to simulate it being a road trip. You know, they went on the road, they got in the night before they did an early practice. They had a scouting report, a mini scouting report of Villanova and, I know who helped with that scouting report. It was Theo John. You know why? Because Theo John has seen a lot of Villanova over the years when he was at Marquette. And he also looks like he was a guy who knew how, how to play Villanova in the paint because he had a couple of great highlights uh, in this video package, including him getting an and one. And again, he's just that guy that like he makes the basket and there was no celebrating. It wasn't demonstrative. He just went right to the huddle and got, you know, got ready for the next play and got ready for the free throw. So I really like what I'm seeing from him as a backup to uh, both Mark Williams and Paulo Bancaro. I also thought Mark Williams did fairly well in this scrimmage as well. Again, we're going to see a lot of these guys in the flesh. We'll talk about uh, them this coming week. But I think when it comes to the bench guys, we saw Joey Baker in this package a lot. Joey Baker has not featured a lot during the preseason because of some nag injuries. So it was great to see him not only in this video, but also making some plays and, and making some shots. And also, again, Theo John. I think, again, Theo John is going to be that guy who's going to be a, a commanding presence inside when he gets in the game and also one of those leaders that we're going to need throughout this team. But, Jason, I want to go back to you because there was a couple other guys that I thought had some great individual performances. Why don't you talk about some of those guys? Yeah, first of all, I, I want to say I'm glad that you mentioned um, both Theo John and Joey Baker because th they look like they are – the key subs until AJ Griffin comes back. Although we did see a little bit of Jalen Blakes in this and, you know, again, how much you can draw from these highlights, but it didn't look like Jalen Blakes was struggling to keep up with the level of competition, which is, which is great to see. Um, so I want to start with a little tiny bit of a negative, which is we did not see much from Mark Williams. He, he easily wins the opening tap. Um, he then, uh, which by the way, Duke converted, he, he taps it to Wendell Moore and Wendell Moore immediately converts it for for a score duke leads after like two seconds um uh, it feels like that could be a play for duke uh at the start of virtually every game because i don't know 
it's going to be hard for any team to stop Mark Williams from winning a tap. He's, he's so long and he can jump so well. Um, uh, anyway, uh, but we just didn't see that much of Mark Williams. He had a nice high, low post move um, uh, post pass where he's high post and Palo is in the low post and he fed Palo for, for a bucket. I think he has one dunk, but other than that, we just didn't get much from Mark Williams. And I feel like if he had been erasing shots at the rim and making block shots, they would have put that in this highlight package. At least I, I sort of feel like they probably would have. So the fact that they didn't says to me that Mark Williams may have not had um, that big a game and there are high expectations on him. Now it's worth noting that Villanova is a somewhat smaller team um, and that coach K may have gone small to match them much of the time. So that may be part of the Williams, part of the reason why we didn't see a lot from Mark Williams. Um, I want to talk about Trevor Keels really quick. That guy just seems so strong with the ball. He's, he is, He's physically able to get to the spot he wants to on the floor again and again. And we saw that against a good Villanova team that, that they are men. Um, these Villanova players are all like juniors and seniors. This is an and some of them are, are, are super seniors. You know, they're in like their fifth year. Um, the fact that Trevor Keels is able to get where he wants to on the floor against them is really impressive. And his mid-range game, look, we heard he hit four out of seven threes. But he showed again that he's going to have a, an impressive mid-range game. He and Wendell Moore look like three-level scorers, guys who are strong enough to take it to you in the post, guys who are physical and skilled enough to be able to, to hit mid-range jumpers over you, and guys who can hit three-pointers. It is really impressive from both those guys. The thing about Trevor Keels that is most important about that is not that just he's physically big enough to get to a spot. He's quick enough to get there too. And that's a, that's a dangerous combination. When you're big enough, to get to us to, to muscle somebody and also quick enough to beat them to the ball, you get a lot of steals. And that's what him and Wendell Moore are probably going to be doing a lot this year because both of them definitely have the quickness to get to a spot. And then they have the physicality to muscle anyone who's going for that 50 50 ball. And I got two other really, really quick things. Then I want Sam to get in. But um, the first one is I, I noticed I just saw a lot of swagger and joy from this team uh, when they scored. Uh, there were a couple times where the, the camera angle changed around and, and you would be able to really get a, a good hero shot, so to speak, of the guy who'd scored. And um, in those moments, you saw them clapping a lot, um, not just from the bench, but the, like the guy who just scored seemed really happy. Um, there was a lot of swagger I saw from the team. Um, and, and I just love that. Uh, you know, you may say it's not the best sportsmanship. There was a, you know, I don't want to say there was taunting going on, but it was, it was borderline. <laughs> um, but I don't mind seeing that from these guys. They look confident considering how young they are. And then the last thing I wanted to mention, I don't know if you guys saw this, but in the background on some of the shots, I saw AJ Griffin and he was behind the Duke bench most of the time doing running. And he was even doing some shooting. Um, he does not look like a guy who is struggling to recover from his injury. He does not look like a guy who's going to be a month or more from getting back on the floor. I think we may see him sooner rather than later based on just the fact that he is clearly doing some running, doing some work with the basketball on the floor, even at this point, you know, just a week and a half or so, two weeks since he had the injury. Jason, I don't want to, I, I don't want to linger too much on, on the, the celebrating that was going on on the bench and on the floor. I imagine that a lot of the Duke and Villanova players know each other, be it from AAU or, or high school competition. Uh, so I, I'm sure these guys are cool with each other. I, I imagine this feels like, you know, playing in a pickup game rather than uh, being in front of a in front of a full crowd, where it may it may come off a little bit differently. So I'm I'm only excited about about the sort of level of participation that we were seeing from the Duke guys in this. And I wanted to come back 
and, and talk for a few more seconds about Trevor Keels, because we highlighted after the countdown to craziness scrimmage, how exciting he was and, and how much we were looking forward to him stepping into the role that AJ Griffin was maybe slated to play uh, in the preseason. He showed, it seems like again, in, in sort of limited uh, evidence here, it showed uh, again, how ready he is to, to participate at this level. And I think one of the challenges for freshmen, if they're not at, you know, Paulo Bancaro's level that, you know, remember like a guy like Mark Williams last year, or even Jeremy Roach, um, they come in being five-star prospects or maybe high four-star prospects, but not the top, top guys. And, and they had uneven starts to their season. There were, there were games when Roach played well and, and games where he didn't. Mark Williams certainly had a slow start to last year. And by the end of the year, you know, they were both key contributors. It seems like Trevor Keels is on a slightly faster development track than they were. And we're going to need him to be because Duke doesn't have that many guys who are experienced scorers on this team. So I'm excited about Keels' development there. And then the one other one that I'm, I'm so excited by is Wendell Moore. I think if he's, if he's making that leap this year, not just in his, in his physical development, which we talked about after Countdown to Craziness, but in sort of his general playmaking and savvy, maybe this is, a, this is like the transformation that Nolan Smith went through from his sophomore year to his junior year where he's developing all kinds of different facets to his game. And all of a sudden a guy who was like a, you know, six, seven, eight point scorer who, you know, maybe was able to get some rebounds and maybe is able to, to D up some better players all of a sudden can kind of do everything on the floor. Wendell Moore is big. He looks like he's in great shape and explosive from, again, again, from the explosive. limited highlights. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, definitely. And, and I don't think we would have said that about him in previous years. This is, this is really a testament. It seems like to, to off season work from him. Um, the kind of development that unfortunately we don't get to see very often where guys are leaving for the NBA after just one or two years, that extra year of physical maturity is going to go a long way for Wendell Moore at college. And maybe just maybe it helps him, uh, you know, get his pro career off on the right foot down the road. I think that, you know, I I don't want to, I don't want to overdo it on, on what we're taking away from this, as we said, the four minutes of, of, of (laughs) highlights from this, but definitely excited about, about Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels. Add to what add to that Wendell Moore's improved leadership because that might be the most important intangible as we talked about leadership a lot last year. His improved leadership is going to also be something that is going to be really, really good for us this season. By the way, the other captain, Joey Baker, is also featured plenty in these highlights. Mm-hmm. And and that's another guy who, you know, bit player even even through last year. Maybe this year he is a significant piece or even even like an important bench piece. And that, again, just like it is for Trevor Keels, is a great development for Duke. Absolutely. I want to touch really quickly. I want to go back to the celebrations because, you know, me, I'm a celebrations guy. I didn't hear anything on the video that led me to believe that it was over the top because you have to remember these guys actually do that sort of celebrations, you know, clapping and cheering after every shot in regular games. It's just we don't hear it because they're surrounded by 9,314 screaming fans or 20,000 screaming fans, wherever they end up, end up playing. So that's something that they actually do quite a bit. And if you notice, a lot of them aren't necessarily looking at the other bench or looking at another guy. They're, they're looking at their team. They're dapping their own teammates up. They're getting in their own huddles and kind of celebrating in the huddles. And you have the guys on the bench who will stand up and cheer after every single made basket that we do during the season. They're obviously doing that right now. So I don't have any issues with what they were doing. Villanova clearly didn't. There's a lot of love between these two programs, uh, at least from the players and from the coaching staffs 
uh, perspective. So I, I thought it was all good. Jason, I'm going to give you the final word on this scrimmage. Again, we've talked about this for about 20 minutes longer than the, than the video that we have, but you know what? That's what we do here on the Duke basketball report podcast. Absolutely. Hey, I want to mention a guy that we have not talked about at all. Um, who is clearly the most overlooked um, player on the team right now. And that's Jeremy Roach. Um, I'm, I'm going to make a prediction right now. I think it is very, very possible that Jeremy Roach is going to average more assists than points this year. Um, in this game, he had, I think he had a couple buckets. Um, uh, but it looked to me like his primary role is get into the defense, draw the defense around him, and then find the open man. And uh, and he did that several times in this video, generally finding guys who were standing alone at the three-point line because their man had come inside to prevent Jeremy Roach from getting a layup. Um, and uh, if he's able to do that consistently, then it is a huge, huge thing for this team because it looks like we got guys who can score. Um, if we got guys who can set them up, that's going to become super, super important. And, and I, you know, again, it's, it's four minutes of highlight video, but I like what I saw from Jeremy Roach in those four minutes. Hey, look, I, I saw nothing that led me to believe that I'm anything more than excited, super excited about the season coming up. I know we have an exhibition game coming up this coming weekend against Winston-Salem State. We will preview that midweek, but for all intents and purposes, from what we saw from the video here in Washington, D.C., Duke had a really good weekend on the basketball court, and it, it leads everyone to be even more excited about what we're going to see this season. Look, a, a year ago, Duke's early season games against good teams, Michigan State and Illinois, we did not look good. Duke was clearly outmatched, and it, and it was abundantly clear that the young Blue Devils of last season were not capable of playing with top-tier teams. Um, I think based on what we have heard and what we've seen about this scrimmage against top five Villanova, that will not be the case with the current Duke Blue Devils. And that's a cause for a lot of joy. Absolutely. But uh, we will leave it there for the scrimmage. Again, we have more basketball coming. We will talk about that uh, later on, uh, but we'll pause here for a quick break. On the other side, the NBA 75 list is out as the league celebrates the 75th season. We see which Duke players that should have made the cut after this. We are back and we turn our attention now to the National Basketball Association, the league. As I mentioned before the break, the NBA is celebrating its 75th season this year in a bunch of ways. Some of them are really, really cool. One of those ways was to release what's called the NBA 75 list, which is the list of the 75 greatest players of all time. It was done in alphabetical order, so we don't have a numerical debate about who's number one, who's number two here. But there's still plenty to talk about. Of course, the league has had a ton of players over the years that we would consider legends, great, whatever you want to call it, whatever superlatives. But only 75 can make this list, which means there are bound to be some players left off that many think should have been included there were no Duke players that made the NBA 75 list. The only Duke adjacent player, if you will, on this list is the late Kobe Bryant, who mentioned many times during his life that he would have played at Duke had he not made a decision to turn pro straight out of high school. But Sam, I want to start with you first. Uh, what are your thoughts on this list? And are there a couple of players that you thought should have been included or you would have included on the Sam 75 list? Well, I, I think Duke fans naturally gravitate to Grant Hill as being our, our most experienced 
full career NBA player. But as I'm looking at this list, I kind of understand why he's not on it, even though even though I look at his career and I think that, you know, Duke fans are very proud of of how long Grant lasted in the NBA, despite the injuries and how many accolades he gathered. And, and ultimately that he is uh, he's in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, so so I'm not I'm not upset about it. I, I think, honestly, a lot of the, the funnier stories came out about guys who, who were snubbed, who were not Duke players. The, the Clay Thompson thing was was very funny, uh, at least to me. Uh, it seems like Clay Thompson's upset about not being included, but uh, but his teammates are sort of taking it in stride. So, uh, no, I'm 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 not I, I'm not incensed about the NBA saying that or whoever's selecting this, that Grant Hill's not one of the top 75. I'm looking forward to, you know, if we're I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if we're still doing this podcast in 25 years, uh, trying to figure out which Duke guys who may be in the league now might finally crack this list. Um, once they add another 25, because I, I the other thing that I was reading is that the the NBA did this same kind of list 25 years ago at the 50th right. anniversary. And and all the guys from the 50th were sort of still on there. They've just like added 25 more. Um, so I'm excited to see which which Duke players might climb into the list, because I could envision, you know, a, a handful of them even uh, who are currently in the league that might finally crack that that top hundred. So, Jason, I know we, we talked about Grant Hill uh, being a Duke player that would have probably been on uh, a lot of our list, myself included. Uh, but what about the Jason list? I know you have a couple out there that you're probably thinking, yes, I would have had them on my list. So talk about those two players. I know Grant Hill is one of them, but talk about uh, both of them that you have. Yeah, I, I feel like Grant Hill probably deserves to to be there. He, he's certainly one of the guys who got snubbed, who, who I think there, there are two, maybe three guys who made it who I'm like, well, Grant Hill is better than those guys. Um, now, I'm not necessarily saying that Grant Hill was the snub. I think, I, I actually, the guy who got snubbed the most is Dwight Howard, who's one of the best defensive centers of all time and was a pretty good offensive player. And, and for Dwight Howard to have never to not make the top 75 of all time really leaves me scratching my head. The, uh, the, the guys who I think made it who didn't deserve to be there, uh, Paul Pierce, um, I, I, I feel like <laughs> I was going to say Paul Pierce. <laughs> I'm Paul right. Pierce, yes. Uh, he does not belong. Keep going. Keep going. You're doing great. Uh, look, look, here's the thing. You can't be one of the greatest of all time. If you weren't one of the greatest of your time, Paul Pierce only made all NBA. He, he made exactly zero first team, all NBAs. Wait, that's made, crazy. He was never first team all NBA. I have as many first team all NBAs as Paul Pierce does. He made one too. second team all NBA squad. So at the best, throughout his entire career, at his absolute peak, he was one of the 10 best players in the league. Never one of the five best players in the league. I'm sorry. That's not one of the 75 best players of all time. You want to know another one? Ray Allen. Ray Allen made one all NBA second team, one all NBA third team. So at his best, Ray Allen was occasionally a little tiny bit of the time, one of the 15 best players in the NBA. I'm sorry. But he had the three records. So I, I can, I can be okay with Ray. Allen. He's not no, going to have it for much. No, longer. there are other great, there are other great three point shooters who were far more complete players than Ray Allen. Paul Pierce and Ray Allen do not belong. I don't think Damian Lillard does either. Lillard, Lillard probably gets there, but at this moment in his career, I don't think Lillard is there quite yet. I think Dwight Howard should have been on it. Um, I actually think Dikembe Mutombo probably should have been on it. The, the list just undervalues defense. I was thrilled that Gary Payton made it. 
Um, Gary Payton, arguably the best perimeter defender of all time. Um, so if you're, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that he was on there. I don't know why Dwight Howard and Dikembe Mutombo, who are probably the best defensive um, post players of all time, aren't on the team also. But, uh, you know, so those are my, and, and, and I think, and Grant Hill probably is in that conversation along with those guys. You know, I think some people said Pau Gasol. There are a couple other names of p- players who could have conceivably made it, but Jason, there's no way Ray Allen or Paul Pierce should be on the top. Jason, are you time. saying that the 2008 Celtics are overrated? Yes. Tremendously. Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe they are. Yeah. I mean, for me, I agree with you on, on Dikembe. I, that that was a shock to me because I think Dikembe is are, you know, one of the top you know, 10 centers in, in, that ever lived. Uh, I also think about uh, Clay Thompson. But for me, there was a couple of homer picks. And I know they're homer picks because I'm a Detroit Pistons fan. But Joe Dumars barely missed the, the 50 list 25 years ago. And he probably should have been on the 75 list. Ben Wallace is another guy that I thought should have been on this list. Uh, I, I'm not going to say who I would take off, but Paul Pierce is one of them. Um, but uh, also one thing that I thought was interesting, if you go back to the 50 list, which again was released in 1996 with, for the 50th anniversary, there was one player who was like a current player that had only been in the league less than five years that made that list. And that was Shaquille O'Neal. Makes sense that he was on that list. Good. There aren't good a lot inclusion. of players. Yeah. Good inclusion because that, that, that panned out. There's a lot of guys that are still playing, obviously that made this 75 list but not a lot of them that have been in the last four or five years that just came into the league in the last four or five years. So a lot of those guys are seasoned veterans. You got, you know, of course, you got LeBron, you got Steph, you got KD, those type of guys. Dame Lillard has been in the league a lot, Harden. quite a bit. James Harden's on it Harden, and, and yeah. deserves to be there. And Westbrook yeah. and Westbrook. And they all deserve to be there. So it was interesting that we were talking about some of the latest crop of stars. That's kind of where that Duke list kind of falls in. We have a lot of guys that are starting to make some noise that have only been in the league three or four or five years that just missed this list. But again, as you guys mentioned, when the hundred list comes out, we'll see guys like most likely we'll see guys like Jason Tatum. We'll see Zion Williamson on there. We may even see RJ Barrett, uh, Kyrie like those type of guys. Ky- yeah, Kyrie Kyrie, Kyrie's in the, Kyrie, Kyrie ever a, plays yeah. again. If he ever plays again, Kyrie's in the running. He never gets vaccinated. <laughs> I right. see. So, I have a hard time. I have a hard time playing this, uh, playing this game because I read this list and there are, there are actually a fair number of guys that I'm, I either like certainly never saw play and don't even have like any context for, um, for example, and, and I'm, I'll, I'll butcher some names just to prove to you what an idiot I am. Uh, Dave DeBusker, uh, DeBusher, Dave DeBusher, Dave DeBusher. Yo, he was, I don't even know who he is. He was ill. He played for the Pistons. He played for the Knicks. He's ill. He's a great, he's one of the Knicks greats. He's one of the really great Knicks players. Oh, the Knicks. Yeah. A a team with a long storied history of success. (laughs) How about, uh, I love it. I love it. Give me another one. I'm going to hear another one that you've never heard of. Hold on. Keep going. Paul Arizon. Yes. Okay. So, so stop there. This was funny because they, people were on Twitter using his like highlights package as a meme. They're basically saying, Hey, how, how mad is Kyrie going to be when he saw that he was left off the 75 list for this guy? And it was Paul Arizon just like dribbling in the 1950 or 1950s or 1960s, just around the entire court and like doing some Washington senators imitation of the Harlem Globetrotters how about, uh, back then. Can you tell me Paul, about- wait, wait, Paul Arizon was a 10 time NBA all-star. But, yeah, how but, many teams, but, how many players were in the NBA then? Well, <laughs> Ten. Here, here's the thing. I mean, the dude averaged like 25 points per game over his career, but he played in the 50s on the Philadelphia Warriors. So how about, I mean, how about Hal Greer? Yeah, Hal Greer's great. Hal Greer was dope. 
Yeah. Well, what was his deal? Tell me about it. He was him. good. <laughs> he was very good. Yeah. What did he do? I never, uh, I never heard of him. He also played. I feel, I feel like he also played for the 76ers. Wait, I got to look how yes. we're up. Yes. He played for the 76ers. Should we? 10 time, 10 uh, time all star. Wow, ten-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA second team, but there are probably only. Tell five me about. Uh, tell me about Billy Cunningham. Oh, Billy Cunningham, Car- former Carolina player. Um, oh, so uh, he should be off the list too. Yeah, uh, so Billy, I don't like him. Yeah, you, you should not like him. Billy Cunningham is a a, a legend in North Carolina circles. Yes, not to be confused sure. with Bubba, who was the AD over right. at UNC. Right, not related. Also, also a Carolina guy. There, there are some other guys here who are like I'm. I'm aware that they are great. I just like have seen no. Um, I've seen no highlights and like, and just have very little, like, uh, very little context for like Nate Thurmond, nothing, Celtic. nothing doing for me here. Wasn't Nate? Yeah. Thurmond yeah Nate Thurmond was on the 50 list too. So, yeah. So, so, so. here's the thing. I, I mean, it, like looking at, you know, the old highlights packages of these guys and stuff like that. Um, it's tough. Ma- many of them. I mean, the game was just so different, <laughs> you know, in the forties and fifties. I mean, they were playing, they were playing in shoes that had no support. And and half the players and also were like, like they were doing, doing set shots. There was no there was so. no such thing as dunking. I mean, and they were and George Mike and George Mike and six ten and the and this and he's going up against centers that were six three. So yeah, and yeah. he was still ill. Like that that's not to disparage his illness, but like and, that was and the, it, that's the game. That was the game. If you were taller, cigarettes. If you were taller, if you were taller than six five and you got more than five feet from the basket, your coach yelled at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. did nothing but so, stand underneath the basket. It's just, uh, big it's just, it's just different. I'm glad that I get to watch basketball today. It's pretty cool. That's my, that's yeah. my big takeaway. That's my big takeaway from this list. And, and yes, I will reiterate. I can't wait for 25 years from now because we will have Duke players on this list. Then I can almost guarantee that. Uh, as you said, Jason Tatum is on his way there. Kyrie hopefully is on his way there. Zion Williamson should be on his way there. If Zion gets healthy, then he's for sure, for sure, for sure, going to so, be. There. So and will, honestly, uh, if if, we'll if we think if we think what we think about the uh, about the trajectory of the career of Paulo Bancaro, his name will be on that list too. So yeah. we have I, a I lot will, of guys that are that we should be excited to watch uh, that are in the NBA right now or going to be playing at Duke this season. That years from now, people could be looking at as some of the greatest of all time. We said I the same thing about judgment. Marvin Bagley. I was going to say I'm going to reserve judgment on anybody pre NBA because I remember Marvin Bagley. Um, I remember Austin Rivers. Like, Jolly Okafor. You, yeah, Jolly Okafor. Yes. Jolly Okafor, I feel like we were appropriately excited, but also nervous about in the NBA because like his limitation, I feel like his- Really? I don't Come know, on, let, yeah. Let's go wait, back wait, wait, and wait. listen. We can go back and listen to it. But we got to listen to episodes like two, three through 10. He was drafted number two and there was not a moment of us going- I don't know, man. I'm not sure. I don't know if he's I think there was the a lot of appropriate years. speculation, a lot of appropriate uh, uh, hesitation about about his NBA prospects. Maybe it not that he's like not his, going to last. It was about the role of the big man in yeah. the NBA because it was starting to wither at that. Yeah. I think Marvin Bagley, I think Marvin Bagley is the best example of this where like his coming into Duke, it was like, this guy is insane. His year at Duke was insane. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. was that good. Um, and he's been good in the NBA, but he has not been like anywhere close to making the NBA 100 at 100 list. Um, it is it is stunning to me, by the way, that the Sacramento Kings have decided they would rather not play him than like than have him in the rotation. It's low key, low key. The Marvin Bagley situation in Sacramento is is pretty wild and weird. And and I, we're probably just not as an NBA fan base talking about it because of the Ben Simmons uh, stupidity. 
it's crazy. Yeah. I don't understand how Sacramento is not playing him at all. It just doesn't make any sense that they're not playing him at all. Well, it's not even that. On top of that, right, last season at the trade deadline, they tried to trade him. They couldn't trade him. So then they tried to release him, and then they didn't want to release him. So then they said, we'll release him or trade him at the end of the, in the offseason, and they did neither. And now they're saying, oh, he's the guy that's the problem, so we're going to sit him and not play him in the rotation. And that is the real like that's the real thing. It feels Kings, spiteful. No, what to do with it. The, the, it doesn't it, it? I mean, it feels a little bit like they like have it in for him or something. It's very weird. It doesn't again, make any yeah. sense to me. Again, going back to my comment about the Knicks, the Sacramento Kings, a great team with a long history of doing things correctly. Yo, the Knicks history is way better than Sacramento's. Yeah, so that that tells you something. With the singular yeah. exception of when Sacramento had Chris Weber for a couple of years, that franchise impatient. Yeah, terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm an yeah. Atlanta fan. well we will continue to watch the nba the the kings the knicks the pistons all the teams uh as we move forward but that will do it for episode 350 of the duke basketball report podcast 350 guys congratulations we made it uh we will be back at some point midweek to preview the lone exhibition game we have again this coming weekend against winston-salem state make sure to keep up donald can i play can i play one game with you guys for three minutes here Three minutes, um, go. Because I, I think that, that our time on this show is only going to become more valuable now that the season is 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 uh, tipping off. I was looking the other day at tickets for the Duke versus Boston College game just to give – this game is meant to give you a sense of how insane the Coach K final season is going to be. I was mm-hmm. looking at Duke at Boston College tickets the other day. Of course, I live in Boston. I have uh, a number of uh, friends who went to Duke who are here in the city. So we were talking about, all right, we, we should get a block of tickets to go see Duke at BC. They finally showed up on StubHub. You can't buy individual Duke game tickets from the Boston College Athletics website. I would like for both of you to guess. One, the, the get-in price on StubHub for any BC basketball game that is not the Duke game and the get-in price for the Duke game as of two days ago. I haven't checked it again today. So we're talking worst uh, seat in the house. Get in price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worst yeah, seat, like standing room price. No fee. The, the, the first no ticket fees included. Up, no, like like what shows up on StubHub when you? I assume that you guys are familiar with using StubHub. Yes. Many yep. people, mm-hmm. you know, you, you you get the the tickets show up. You then get fees sometimes added. But what's the the cheapest ticket that's and BC uh, plays at Conte Forum, which is not the biggest stadium. I think it's like roughly similar to Cameron, maybe a little smaller. I think it's but, like eight thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So Jason. Get in price for any other game, and if you want to guess the the opponent, that's a that's a fun other uh, trivia. But get in price for any other opponent, and the get in price for Duke. I have no idea of who you know the the trashy buy games that BC is uh, you know is bringing into town, um, Colgate and stuff like that. Um, no offense to Colgate, not just not a big time basketball pro- program. I'm going to say the get in price, like worst seat in the house for worst game of the year, twelve dollars. No, sorry, sorry, the the. Um, non Duke, any team other than Duke. So, so it's the get, it's actually the get in price for like the UNC game. Guess that price and then guess the price for the Duke game. Oh, so sort of like an expensive opponent. I thought you meant like the worst. Yes. Opponent. Yeah. Yeah. Any other opponent. All right. So, so yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, all right. So I'm it's go UNC like, now that I've, now that I've ruined it. The, other, the second most expensive ticket is UNC, which guess how much that is. Okay. So worst seat for a UNC game. I'm going to say, is 40 bucks. Okay. And what about the Duke game? Uh, well, wait, get, get Donald to do worst seat. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. so Donald, give me your price for the, for the so UNC the worst game. seat, the second, the second most expensive worst seat, um, the UNC game. I I'm going to say it's 55. Okay. 
Uh, and what about, and Donald, you can pick the, your price for the Duke game. Uh, the price for the Duke game, the, the get-in price, I think is going to be, I'll say $647. <laughs> You're a little high, but Jason, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say 350 Yeah. Uh, so, so maybe this isn't as dramatic as I thought. The get-in price for the UNC game the other day was $40. So Jason nailed that. The, the Duke game was 194 um, but but oh, 194 still, is doable, man. 194 is doable. I know I should just just book someone else. Someone else who had been to the actually, I won't share all my intel because I, I, I'm trying to work this market as much as anybody else is. But um, but just to demonstrate that the Duke game is five times more expensive than any other game. That is how this season is going to go for Duke fans trying to get in. So just just be mindful. I'm doing I mean, I'm doing all of your Duke fans. I'm doing all of your secondary ticket market research for you. I'm having friends who are getting tickets. They're winning tickets in the, in the iron Duke lottery for or for the uh, champions classic. And those face value tickets are $230. So uh, get in price right now is 80. Cause I think people bought like, you know, nosebleed seats or whatever, but whatever you get into Duke is going to be mega expensive, which means the, the that's only going to make the secondary market that much higher. So yeah, uh, don't wait, don't wait. Don't Good hesitate. Luck. Yes. Godspeed. And also, uh, if you uh, have tickets and you were willing to give them to uh, a, a poor, poor alum in need, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. There's three of them here that would gladly want to sit with you and, and, and watch basketball with you, whether it be in Cameron or somewhere else where Duke basketball is playing. You can also email your questions or comments about this show or any other show that we have. And if you are not subscribing, what are you waiting for? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Rate, review, five stars. It really helps us a lot. We will be back again midweek. So for Jason Evans and for Sam Klein, I am Donald Wine. This is the 350th episode of the DBR Podcast in the can. And we leave you with a big fan to take us home. Daniel Jones highlight is hilarious. Oh, it's amazing. So by the way, he does that. He gets popped. And it's like two weeks after he was out with a concussion. Yeah. I'm not sure that was the, but if his receivers made catches that good, he'd have a hell of a lot more completions. He's a better wide receiver than anyone else on the, on the giants, I think. Which says something because it was a pretty (laughs) ugly catch. (laughs) It's a one-handed grab. It's the ball's way overthrown. I know. No, I know. I'm also like, vastly underrating how difficult it is to even catch that in stride with two hands. So exactly. Yeah. Everything in sports looks easy until you actually try to do it yourself. And then it's fucking impossible. Exactly. Exactly.